greatest basketballer, I think, of all time. We'll keep kind of scrolling here. Serena Williams, great tennis player, probably the greatest female tennis player of all time. You can disagree if you like. We'll have a conversation after. Federer, heaps better than Nadal. Uh, there he is. That's actually him beating Nadal on the clay. Don Bradman, for our cricket fans out there, I thought, yeah, Brad Lewin's just nodding his head there. Can play along at home as well. And last one I think we've got is Gary Ablett Jr., who I, I say is the, the greatest AFL player of all time. Once again, this is my illustration. So uh, he is the, the greatest AFL player uh, that anyone's ever seen. But I don't know when you, you see this. I saw some people nodding their heads. I saw some surprise faces when, when different athletes came up. Maybe you saw those and you, you disagreed. Maybe you think it, it's someone else. Maybe you think there's a, a greater athlete than them. But I feel like as a people, we we gravitate towards this kind of thing, don't we? Like, they've got to be the greatest of all time. And, or, or why they're not. You know, there's this great comparison between Jordan and LeBron and why one's greater than the other. And often what we tend to start looking at is we start to compare them with one another. We start to look at maybe why they, they're not the greatest. Like, he can't be the greatest because he made a mistake off the field. Or he can't be the, the, the greatest in this field because, you know, they're not quite up to standard. And we all have these views, don't we, about what makes things great, what... What makes life great? What makes us great? And it can become this all-consuming thing about greatness, being the best, comparing one thing to another, going one person to another, looking at different lives. And this is why I've loved being off social media. I don't know what people are having for lunch at the moment. So I can't compare my lunch to someone else's lunch and go, oh, geez, theirs looks better than mine. But there's this whole thing in our world, isn't there, of like pinning stuff up and going, this is what it needs to be like. This is what it has to look like. What they've got might be slightly better than what I've got. And in our own lives, we're not all trying to become maybe the greatest athlete of all time. But in our lives, we are all making something great. And my firm belief in life is that God wants us to have the greatest life possible. That he, he, he only created one of me. He only created one of you. He, he made us all differently. He's given us all different giftings and skills. And it's not for us to compare one of us to another one of us and go, which one of us is better? That's not what following Jesus is about. You know, some of these athletes that you put up there, some of them would be embarrassed that they're even in a conversation like that because they're just trying to be the best they can be. And I think that's what's so special about them. But we have to make this decision in our life. If we want to have great lives, if we want to have this conversation about greatness in our own lives, we have to look at whether we're using our lives to make God look great or whether we're using our lives to make ourselves look great. See the difference in there? There's a, there's a greatness conversation for all of us. We all want to have great lives. We all want to live the best we possibly can. We all want to have the best we possibly can have. And there, there's nothing wrong with that, providing that all of that points towards making God look great. Because we already know he wants us to be great. He wants us to be the very best he can be. He created us for intention and purpose. But I believe that the tension that comes into this sometimes is what we think is best for ourselves and what we think is going to make us great, and what God thinks makes us great. And so it becomes this tension as we live our lives between, is this me, or is this God? Does this make God look great? Is this God working in my life, or is this me making a decision to make myself look great? And whether we like to think about it or not, we all do this. We all put stuff up there. For me, it's athletes today, but we all have these things that we consider the definition of great. For you, maybe it's your position at work. Maybe it's the, how much money you earn. Maybe it's the house that you have. Maybe it's that Instagram lunch. I don't know what it is for you. But we all have these things that we put in the forefront of who we are. 
to make our lives great. And last week we were looking in Matthew 4 at the, the temptations of Jesus and we're going to continue with that a little bit today. And Matthew 4 verse 5 to 7 are going to be our key verses for this morning. And it says this, it says, Then the devil took him, so this is Jesus, to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. This temptation that the, the, the devil puts in front of Jesus, he takes him to the, to the highest point of the temple, the highest point of the holy place. And he says, he's saying, you're the, you're, you're the son of God, you're Jesus. You have all this power, all this greatness that's within you. So just jump, jump down and you know, throw yourself down, you know that God in his plan for your life, the great plan that he has for your life, Jesus, he's not going to let you die. So what he's going to do is he's going to send his angels down because he's worried about it. He's going to scoop you up and everybody's going to see right there and then how much you matter to God, how important you are, how much power you have because he's not going to let you die. And Jesus obviously doesn't give in to the temptation, but he, he, he turns around and says, it's also written, don't, don't test the Lord your God. He knows in that moment that the devil was trying to play with his ego a little bit and go, hey, if you, you are who you say you are, if you're as great as what has been written about you, if you're as great and as important to God as you are, then do this and show everybody. And the thing for Jesus is, he was that. He was as important as the devil was saying he was. He was as important as the, the enemy was saying. The enemy knew exactly who Jesus was going to be, so he takes him to a spot where maybe it might make him a little bit weak. Maybe it might make him a little bit vulnerable. You notice in this, in this test that the devil gives to him, it's not a, not a big outrageous sin thing to do, is it? It's not like saying, go out and say God's not real or go out and commit this horrendous sin. It's this subtle little play with his ego, this really small little thing. If you are who you say you are, do this. Hey, if you do it anyway, it's going to make God look pretty powerful, isn't it? Because it's going to show what he can do when, it, when he really needs to. He's playing with the subtlety in his life. Just do this and it'll be okay. And Jesus wises to it and he, and he says, no, don't do it. And I feel like in our life, this temptation that we see to be great, to make ourselves look great over making God look great, it's not always the really large things that get in the way. Often seems to be these little subtle decisions that we make, subtle temptations, subtle moments, things that sometimes seem a bit blurry between okay and not okay. Yeah, I, I feel like this is kind of pushing me in the right direction, but there's this little thing about it that maybe just feels just a little bit wrong. And the question I think that I want to keep bringing us back to is this idea that we would pursue the best thing for our lives because it's what God has, not the best thing that's for us. My life needs to be and your life needs to be. It needs to be about making God look great, not ourselves. In this moment, it would have made God look great that he, that he rescued and he saved Jesus. But do you know who else it would have made look great? Jesus. Don't test the Lord your God, he says. And he gives in to that. And I think for all of us, the worst thing that can kind of happen and what this is kind of leading to and what this shows is this idea of self-exaltation. So bear with me, I know that's a, like a kind of weird word, but this idea that we would put ourselves before everything else. The world we live in tells us to do that, doesn't it? Just put yourself first. Just put yourself first and everything will be okay. Don't worry about those around. Just, just make sure you're okay. Look after yourself. Me, you're number one. You're your own number one priority. 
Just be a good person. Just do, do, do the best you can. Make sure you look after yourself. It's this, this whole thing about kind of self-worship, if you will. And we don't like to call it that because none of us necessarily, that's our intention. To go, I, I worship myself. No, like no, one, no one says that. But when I look in my life, sometimes I do that. And I go, no, I'm more important than someone else. I'm, I'm more important than that person. I'm, I can look at someone else's life and go, oh, gee. You know, like someone makes a mistake and you go, oh, gee, I'm glad I'm not like, you know, I, didn't, I, I would never do that. Or you look at someone's life and go, oh, I feel like I'm more successful than that. We, we live in this world of comparison and putting ourselves up. Having conversations about who could be the greatest and why, and why they're not. And why, why can I make my life so much better? I mean, I'm so important. It's this whole idea of just self-worship, self-exaltation. I'm the most important. I want to be great. And no, like I said, no, in the big picture, no one walks around and says that. If someone said that to you, you'd be pretty quick to be like, shh, you know, like, don't... Who's this guy, you know? Sometimes with athletes, they all talk about how they're the greatest of all time. You're like, that's what doesn't make you the greatest. That's what I think. I'm like, I'm the best player in the world. I'm like, no, no, you're not. Um, Because you told everyone you were. No one walks around and puts themselves up like that. But I believe there's just several little decisions that we make in our lives that often come back and go, yep, that's just me making myself number one. Yep, that's just making myself look like number one. Sometimes they're really easy to justify because I can look and go, well, this is making me look good. It's making, making God look good. The better my life is, maybe the better it shows that the God's looking after me, but it's not about putting him first, it's about putting me first. And we live in a world that is just obsessed with that. Being the best, having the best, comparing to others. And it's this tension that I believe that we walk, but as followers of Christ, there should be something different about us. The good news is, I believe that there's a, an antidote, if you will, a, a counter to, to self-exaltation. And it's this, it's confession. And following in our Acts prayers, you know, one of the, the prayers in there is this, this idea of confession. Kind of taking out and going, you know, God, here's the things in my life where I'm just separating myself from you, where I'm putting myself first and not putting you first, where I'm tempted to make my own life great in the decisions I make and, and putting you to the, to the side. And when I think of confession, I honestly... We'll always think of the big things, don't you? Like, what are those massive things in my life where I'm really just stuffing up? And I'll just let God know those. But there's this picture in, in 1 John, 1 verses 5 to 10, that I think just paints us a great picture of confession and how it is the solution to this part of our lives. And it says this, it says, This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say, We have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth, but if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. Love this. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar, showing that his word has no place in our hearts. There's some really harsh language in there, in some ways. But I think all it's trying to point out is that like, sin's not exclusive. Like this, this issue of kind of putting ourselves first and, and living our life the way we want to is not exclusive just to some people. It's not just for the, the people that do the worst of the worst. It's not just for those that... It's not for my neighbour who clearly has issues and not me. It's it's for all of us. You know, and I don't know too many 
people that are out just doing outrageously bad things. So if it's exclusive, it's for you and it's for me. It tells me that it shows up in the patterns and the habits and the decisions and the small things in our life. But the hope there is, I love that it says that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. There's this illustration in here about, that you can see clearly about darkness and light. I have two little kids, one's five, one turns three on Thursday. Um, and they are like, I don't know anyone else's kids, like scared of the dark. Like that's, that's a thing for kids, right? Like they, they don't like the dark. And so when they go to bed, they want as many lights throughout my house left on as possible. I sit there calculating how I'm going to possibly survive and pay the bills from these lights. And then they want music on because they don't like the silence. And so I will kind of wait till they're asleep and I walk around and quickly turn off all the lights. I got up at 2.30 last night. My daughter was sitting up in her bed with her light on. She can reach her light switch. I'm like, up to. She's like, I don't like it being dark. Don't make it dark. I'm like, just go to sleep and it won't be dark. And then I wake up and all the lights are back on because they've got up before me and they turn it on. And I'm like, oh. I'm like, the sun's up. Why do we? No, we need all the lights on. But we grow up as little kids and I'm sure I was the same. We, we don't like the darkness. The darkness is scary. We don't want to live in that space. But as adults, I feel like we're actually scared of the light. And we want to kind of be in the dark. And it's easier to kind of leave these things in the dark where no one can see them where we think God can't see them, even though he knows anyway. And we can, we can live in this space. And we actually get pretty good at living in the dark. I can make my way pretty well around my house in the dark. Can find the, I can actually find the kitchen tap, get myself a drink of water. It's pretty good. I don't have to turn the lights. I don't have to wake anyone up. But then every now and again, someone leaves a scooter in the hallway. And I'm like quietly trying to get to the tap and then bang, and it makes more noise than what it would have made if the light was on in the first place. I remember one time talking about walking around the house. I was at our Malalu campus and was there early and was the first one there. I had a, t a young person with me coming to help set up and the lights are in this really cumbersome place in the, in the auditorium of our Malalu campus. But in the dark, I knew how to get there. And so I was like, I'll just walk over. I'm in a hurry. And then suddenly I'd hit something. I was like, oh no. And it was a trestle table. I just went straight through it. And I was like, who would, oh, who's leaving a table there and I'm moving out the way? Instead of getting my phone out and turning it on, I'm like, the lights are just here. I go again, second trestle table. Like, bang. <laughs> the young person's like, what's wrong with you? Can't you see those tables? I'm like, it's easy for you looking through that way now that I've gone through them. I'm like, get up. I'm like, that one's definitely going to the bin. It's broken. Uh, this one, I think's okay. But I'm like, who would leave that there? Like, who leaves a table in that space? Who leaves a scooter in the hallway? Who leaves Lego, little bits of Lego <laughs> on the ground? Ah, ah. You don't know true pain until you've stepped on Lego, my friends. <laughs> Kids love the light. They're scared of the dark. It's unknown. They don't know. But I feel like I like to live my life in the dark sometimes. And then sometimes there's a little bit of Lego that I might step on. It's a bit painful. No one else kind of really saw it. Every now and again, there's like a, a scooter or a, a giant car or something massive and obnoxious that causes damage. But the, the reality is if I just turned on the light, I'd be able to see. And I feel like what confession is about is turning on the light. Not about embarrassing ourselves. It's not about feeling heavy and down and thinking about what bad people we are. It's actually about going, I'm going to turn the light on in my life so I can see clearly and I can see properly 
And I can see all the things that are in front of me because truly my motive in life is I want to make God look great. And I know deep down if I do that, his plan for me is to make my life great. And so I will have the best life that I can have if I just put him first. But so often it's just easier to turn the light off and go, I'll deal with that stuff later. Ah, I can justify why I made that decision. Ah, I can leave that thing, I can leave that big thing there because no one's going to see that. I'm not saying we don't have big things. We probably should start clearing out the big things first. But I think for most of us, it's those little things that we just allow in, we allow them to creep in. One of the books that uh, we're reading, or maybe you've joined in on reading, is this um, A.W. Toe's book, The Pursuit of God. I love this book. It's so, it's, it's amazing. You can get one from um, the Connect Lounge if you want. It's pretty old school language. I think that's why I love it. It's this book that kind of feels like it was written like 100 years ago. I don't actually know when it was written, but it feels like it was written like 100 years ago, but for today, like the dude just got the language wrong. But it's just so true about people that something that was written so long ago applies to us today. And, and in his book, in, in one of the chapters here, he's talking about Abraham and how God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son, knowing that he didn't want him to go through with it, but called him to, to sacrifice the most important thing. And it, it says this, it says, and he's speaking like he's narrating from God here, but it says, I never intended that you should actually slay the lad. How's that language? I only wanted to remove him from the temple of your heart that I might reign unchallenged there. I wanted to correct the perversion that existed in your love. Now you may have the boy sound and well. Take him and go back to your tent. How powerful is that line? I never intended that you should actually slay the lad. I only wanted to remove him from the temple of your heart that I might reign unchallenged there. What is it that's in my heart that God can't reign in my life because it's challenging him? What is it in your life? What are those things that we put first in front of God, it truly in our heart of hearts that we hold on to? That God's going, if you just remove that, I'd be able to reign in your life. It's about putting him first. And confession allows us to do that. Confession is not this thing that we just do once. You know, what you kind of see here is it talks about walking in confession, walking in light. Confession for us is a habit. It's a habit that we should have in our life. And there's a couple of ways we can, we can pan that out. There's, there's confession as a habit with God. We, we confess our sins to God. It talks about confessing our sins to God. That's for us, not for him. He already knows. He already sees it better than we. He, he, he looks with the lights on. But what he wants us to do is recognize what lives in the temple of our heart and say, no, God, this is not more important than you. I'm sorry that I've made this more important than you. I'm sorry that I've let this attitude, thing, sin, whatever it might be in your life, whatever it might be in in your heart that remains in there, that shouldn't be there. It's recognizing, yes, I've done that. And I don't want to do that anymore. So I'm going to give it to you. There's this great... um, examine prayer that I might get, JP, if you could throw that up for us. These, this is like a five R's thing, but I've only put three in for the sake of today. Um, but this is something that you can kind of do daily. It's like a daily reflect, reflection is what it's meant to be. And it starts with like a review. So prayerfully review your day, allowing the Holy Spirit to call to mind any moments where you may have sinned, fallen short, missed the mark in word or deed. Take the opportunity to repent, to confess and acknowledge the moment to God to turn in a new direction, to walk in his way, putting him first, making him the greatest. And then resolve. I love the resolve, to walk with him tomorrow. Think about what comes up ahead. Pray about it. Where do you need his strength? Where do you need his wisdom? Where do you need his direction and guidance in your life? Imagine we, we ended our day with this every day. 
Imagine what that would look like as a habit. Going, God, here are the things. Because I know for me, they just build up. Little decision after little decision after little decision. Then it becomes a big deal. The other way we can, we can have confession as a habit in our lives is one with God, the other is with other people. You know, James 5.16 talks about confessing your sins to one another. And so this morning, we're going to turn to the person next to us. No, we're not. <laughs> but this idea of confession with others is who are you walking along the journey with? Because here's the thing about confession. It's not about being perfect. It's actually about authenticity. It's not actually about how good or bad your, your sin might be or how, how it might be better. See how, oh, what they've done is worse than me. Like, I don't want to confess to someone else in case, like, that's outrageous. Like, it's comparison. Actually, confession is about authenticity. It's about going, God, I want my life to be more like the way you want it. And I just recognize there's things here, big and small. And if we're honest, I think it's mostly small that are taking up space, that are allowing you not to work in my life, and I don't want them here. And so I want to repent from those. I want to leave them here. I want to turn around. I want to walk away from them, and I want to leave room for you to reign in my heart. And it opens up this space. You know, if you've got a mentor in your life, it's a great person you can practice confession with. Maybe it's a friend or someone that you're close with to go, hey, here's just the areas where I feel like I'm just struggling to get it right. Put some light on it. They might be able to help you walk and walk in the light together and you might be able to help them. Maybe you'll figure out that you're both going through the same thing together, but you're kind of trying to keep it in the dark. And suddenly you're better and they're better. It's just this idea of being able to walk together. Honest conversations, authenticity. Coming before God, being able to review, repent, resolve. And the more often we do it, the more attuned we are to the things that we're putting into our lives. We're more attuned to the things that aren't of God in our lives, the things that are blocking him from reigning in our lives. And I believe that if we all did this, if I did this more regularly, how much more would I have space in my life for God to move? How much less junk would I be carrying around with me? How much... More what I see clearly because the lights are on rather than living in the dark. I don't want to be scared of the light. I want to be scared of the dark. I don't want to be scared of either. But if I had a pick, I want the light to shine in my life. I want others to do the journey with me. I want to walk with other people. Because I want God to be great in my life. And I want my life to make him great. I don't want people to say that guy's all about himself. I don't want God to look and go, I had so much more for your life, but you just wouldn't get out of the way. Turn the light on. Let him see what he's got for you. I'm going to invite the, the team to, to come back up and join us. And we're going to, as Michelle mentioned earlier in the service, we're going to take a moment to, to get around the table together. The team are going to play a song for us and then they'll lead us in it a little bit later. But my heart would be that Today we could take a moment just to turn the light on in our lives, to find those things that we look at that challenge God's reign in our heart. And what I love about God is that it's not an authority thing. It's not a look how bad you are, get it right thing. It's not a you're in trouble with me thing. It's a love thing. Romans 2.4 I love these verses. It says, Do you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Man, He is tolerant with me. Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that His kindness 
is intended to turn you from your sin. Do you know what it is that it was God's kindness at the cross. It was his sacrifice for you and for me to go, no, I, I love these people and I want to have a relationship with them. So I'm going to sacrifice so that they might be able to have that. God's not out to be a judge and tell us off. He's not out there to give us a fine. He's not waiting so you can come to him and go, here's where there's some things. And he'd be like, yep, see, that's not the God that we serve. The Bible says here that it's his kindness. In another translation, it's kindness that leads us to repentance. And we're gonna sing this song. It's called The Heart of God. It's actually about the heart of God and it uses those lines about how His kindness is there. It's His love, His patience, His tolerance. You know, you might confess something one day and if you're anything like me, you'll do it again the next because it's a habit in my life. But the more I can recognise it, the more I can genuinely say, I, want it, I don't want this here anymore, the more I'm likely to walk away from it and change who I am. It's God's kindness that changes who we are. And so if you hear these words of, confession and turning the lights on and it, and it scares you a little bit, it really shouldn't. Because His kindness is saying, come to me with these things. I want you to bring them to me. You're going to feel lighter and freer. You're going to be able to see more clearly when you leave this because of the work that I'm doing in your life. And so I thought it might be cool if we just left this up on the screen. And as we kind of go to the table, we can I'd ask you to just maybe go through this process. It might take you one or two minutes. It might take you a bit longer. The team are just going to lead us. But not to miss the opportunity to maybe just practice this one today. See what's in there. See what the Holy Spirit leads you in. You might be surprised. You might already know. Maybe there's some things in your life that you've gone, I'm not happy with how I'm doing these things and the way I'm living my life. Now's a great opportunity to bring it before the kindness of God. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the table. Thank you for your forgiveness. I want to turn the lights on and I want to make a change. I don't want to live in the dark anymore. And that we wouldn't just do this once, but we could do this daily. It doesn't have to be like this. It could, you could follow this or you could do something else. But what does it look like for you to daily just switch that light on and just see clearly and go, God, what's in my heart? Where could there be less of other things and more of you? I think it's, Incredible that we're doing this 21 days. Why not to get off technology and make that a thing, but to create more space for God to move in our lives. And so my hope would be that as you've done that, you've come here today with a bit more of Him inside you, ready to pursue Him. And we're gonna do that around the table together. So we're in no hurry, but I'd like to just pray for us. And then when you're ready, you can, you can make your way to the table, grab a cracker, grab the cup, take that in your own time with gratitude for what Jesus did for you but then also maybe just go through this process here and allow His kindness to speak into your life, to draw Him closer to you. And that you might leave here with more room in your heart and in your life and in your mind for Him to take control and reign and make your life the best it can be because you've released it to Him. And that this could be a process that you and I could go on daily. And as we get more comfortable doing it, the easier it will get. The more we can bring people around us, the lighter the walk is but it has to start somewhere. And so for all of us, I hope there can be a, a deeper level of connection with God through confession because of what He's gonna do with His kindness and His patience and His tolerance for each one of us today. Let me pray. Lord, I thank You that it is Your kindness and Your love that brings us back to You, that it was Your kindness and Your love, Jesus, that out of that You went to the cross to fix 
those areas where we all fall short. And so, Lord, I pray that we would search our hearts now, recognising your love for us, recognising that you want us to live the very best lives we possibly can. And that, Lord, we would leave here with more room for you to reign in our lives. That your people, what would be different about your people is that we would be people that live a life that makes you look great. And in so doing so, that you would bring the best out of us. Thank you that you want what is best for us. Lord, I pray as we examine our hearts in this moment, as we turn the lights on, Lord, you would kindly help us create more room for you to live in our lives. Lord, that this could become a daily practice in our lives of just creating more room for you to reign in our hearts, removing those things that challenge, removing those things that aren't of you, ultimately allowing room for the things that are and to be able to live the life that you've called each one of us to. We praise you, Lord. When you're ready, you can, you can head to the table.